welcome to the very first podcast with the early years. I'm Maya Wilcox, ECE facilitator. And I'm Cecilia Malcolm, the other EC facilitator. And we're joined today by Stephanie Pellibor, and she is the mental health lead at DDSB. And we're just going to talk about mental health in the early years and what we're seeing and different ways to help our youngest learners. So welcome, Stephanie. Uh, thank you. Hi, Maya. Hi, Cecilia. So happy and excited to be here and part of this conversation. So thank you for inviting me. We're just going to have a conversation a little bit about our, things that we're noticing in our early years classrooms, especially now after um, the pandemic and getting some of our uh, youngest learners back into a school and what that could look like for these kids. It's a good way to start the conversation, Maya. When I think about, um, I would imagine for many people listening, they're wondering or they're noticing the way in which they believe the pandemic has affected some of our youngest learners. I think, um, I think one of the things I've learned about early learning uh, and the educators that are specializing in this is that they know how big socialization plays um, in how kids learn. And there's such a focus right now on social emotional learning. And when we think about that is those it's it's the it's a child's ability to uh, um, manage emotions express their emotions you know develop close relationships think about their environments all kinds of different skills that help kids thrive in life and so i think i wonder if there's people listening that are worried that the pandemic has taken away opportunities for kids to learn that because we know from the moment a child is born socializing plays a huge part of their development um, it plays a huge part in language development it plays a huge part in learning and so and and i think our kindergarten classes are those places where these skills can be developed where kids learn how to how to be with one another and learn about themselves um, and i also think many of our kids come into our classrooms having had tons of learning experiences around that either through an early year center or play dates with friends and you know i'm not going to be surprised anyone when i say i think covid in the past 18 months socialization has been limited mm -hmm. um and so for some of our kids who've had that learning before they got into the classroom they actually haven't and so now the kindergarten classroom becomes that place where that learning takes place maybe for some of our kids um almost in the in in i don't want to say for the first time sure. um but in ways that maybe we had expected our kids coming in before covid to have already learned um in speaking with some of our our uh, social workers here at the board um one of the things that they're noticing that you know they've got some kids that are coming into kindergarten super stoked super excited yeah. um this is awesome this is i'm going to big school yeah. and then we got kids who are anxious they're worried and sure. they don't quite know how to connect and they look and are presenting quite, quite withdrawn and they may not even understand what's happening like you know like the masks and all of that and and so the stress and the changes affect each one of those kids very differently so yeah i i imagine and everyone listening to this has seen how the pandemic has shifted some of the needs of kids in their class for sure and it's something that uh like i know uh personally going into a school uh for the first time this year after last year it was it was something I myself as an adult had to get used to not being able to see, you know, the full face of a child and, th and then also realizing that they can't see my expression the same way that they would have. So my excitement to them 
just look like really big eyes as opposed to a big smile accompanied with those big eyes. And so for sure, there's a lot of moving parts um, involved in that. Yeah, such a good point, because I think we rely, maybe I'll say, speak for myself as an adult, I rely heavily on nonverbal language. Mm -hmm. You know, what is a face telling me when all we have is our eyes and our eyebrows? There's a big piece of communication that gets missing. And you probably heard the stats when we communicate, there is such a small percentage that's actually verbal, right? A lot of this body language and facial cues. And so if we're missing some of that because of the masks, um, it's an interesting dilemma because then how do we then put words to what we might be feeling and what a great opportunity to invite our kids to begin to think about how we language what we're feeling and what we're thinking. Absolutely. And I'm also noticing the fact that we have to socially distance as well with our youngest learners is making it a bit of a challenge in a way that we aren't being able to connect with them physically either, right? Like mm -hmm. there's more, more of a challenge in that way as well. And then thinking of our English language learners now, um, not having even English as their first language, and then they can't read your your lips. They can't like. I'm just trying to think about how is that affecting them emotionally and and socially, and then all of that plays right back into that their mental health piece, right? And mm -hmm. and we know how important those emotional connections or the social emotional connections are. That I feel like that COVID has kind of broken that link almost, and and kind of gotten made us disconnect from our, our kids in the way that we used to. So I think that's such a good point to say, because that is what's happened, right? Like with um, the absence of being in person, that, you know, uh, person to person, um, we haven't been able to connect and our kids haven't been able to connect to their peers. So that becomes sort of the, the learning ground for a lot of the social emotional skills um, that kids are developing. That, and you're right, that is a healthy part of child development. It, it is what lays the foundation uh, for mental health and well-being in later life. And so when we haven't been able to connect and that applies actually while you were talking yes i'm thinking about our young young learners but i'm also thinking about the staff who are supporting kids because we haven't connected either it's almost like we are relearning as we come back into the classroom how do we do this as a team i'm not used to being connected to you person to person and so we do that with the same sort of physical distancing pieces that are still in play but as we think about our kids trying to reconnect it's something that we are working through ourselves and I think there's a bit of a parallel journey as we try to figure out how we're navigating oh, um, COVID, we are in some way modeling that right. or the kids and the kids are going through their own journey as we're going through ours so and I also feel that, sorry to cut you, Maya, mm -hmm. I feel that sometimes, um, of me personally as an educator, I tend to think, oh, kids are so resilient, they'll bounce mm -hmm. back, they're going to be fine. And um, I mean, that's kind of why we wanted to have this discussion with you, because as much as this is affecting us as adults, like you just said, it's really affecting our kids now. And they're not able to bounce back as easily because they don't have, as you said, those foundational pieces and those those skills that are usually there from 18 months and up when they're in um, early on programs or visiting with their family, even just going out into the neighborhood. All of those things weren't able to happen. So they are being affected in in ways that are um, they aren't able to bounce back as quickly. So yeah. you know, what we're kind of looking at is, OK, how do we support that? What can we do to to 
just, I guess, repair and mend that disconnect that's happened there. And I think kind of speaking with that, I think sometimes as educators, we forget that uh, what Stephanie said was that we're it's a parallel journey that we're taking and we're not giving ourselves as well that moment to understand that we're also traveling through this same journey with them. And what does that look like for us? And how are we modeling those behaviors for our youngest learners to help them navigate it as well, right? The one, and you know, I appreciate what both of you are saying. And, you know, one could hear this and say, oh my goodness, like these poor kids are really compromised by the impact of COVID. And I don't think we should ever underestimate how the pandemic has shifted um, and impacted our kids. Mm -hmm. And I think here's the promise of a supporting and promoting mental health within a school context because you have have kids for one third of their day two thirds of the year that is a ton of time Mm -hmm. really being able to have powerful impact and i think as early learners like the brain is experience dependent meaning the more experience it has the more it can develop and grow and i think this concept of being able to have everyday opportunities with kids so maybe they come a little socially deprived or i've heard this word this summer social malnutrition i'm sure you've heard that it's where right like you think about it they're not having the social interactions that they once had and I think it was coined by a colleague at SickKids, um, social malnutrition. What a good, word. What a good so, phrase. Yeah. So what's happening, though, as they enter into our um, earlier settings, our kindergartens, is we become then that social nutrition. We mm. can give them those opportunities. Um, and I think kids are resilient in that as we provide these opportunities, they have the capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there is some makeup, right? There's sort of lost learning time. Mm. I think that's the power of a young brain is that that it can learn and develop. And I think one of the things I think are so critical to that, and I don't know if this is the same in kindergarten and early years as it is in other areas where educators come in, right? So what they do, what they're trained to do is get curriculum into the minds of kids, right? Yeah. Um, but how you do that is through relationship. Mm-hmm. Why we're doing that is we're developing the next generation of little human beings. And so I think sometimes we go to curriculum sure. before connection. Absolutely. We go content before contact. And, you know, I'm not trying to simplify it, but I think one of the most important strategies in trying to navigate the world we live in as we try to come out of or still in a pandemic with our earliest learners is the value of your relationship with your student. Absolutely. Students need need to know that uh, they matter to you, that you care about them. And it's in, I think, I I don't know who said this. Someone once said, it is in the presence of a caring relationship that learning happens mm-hmm. right and so we're, if we're worried about our kids learning then we need to start in front in that with relationship because then that becomes the enabler for learning um and so i think that's so important How- oh, definitely yeah and i love stephanie that you kind of said it's it's a process right it's not that it's going to all happen in the first month of school we have them for kindergarten is a two-year program but you have them for such a long period of time that that learning that you start in whatever um you know routines and things that you put in place 
that's something that's continual. It's not just a one and done and okay, check the box, you know, they're good. We can move on to the next area. Um, it's, it's a progressive journey that we're on. Another mm -hmm. thing about kindergarten that is so amazing is that a part of our curriculum is about relationships. Mm -hmm. It is about that connection. It is like there's four frames of it. And we all know that belonging and contributing part is huge for feeling that they are valued and that they are seen and heard and that they were a part of this community that's our classroom. So that is a big part of our kindergarten program mm -hmm. um, that I do agree. Sometimes we um, get into the rush of, oh, it's got to be curriculum, got to do math, got to do language. And that's everywhere. That's all the time. And in everything that we do, it's, it's making sure that we are creating these amazing humans that are going to take over the world in, in essence. Right. And so making sure that they are respectful, responsible and, and empathetic and all of these different character traits is is very important to creating a great foundation for their learning. And I do feel like that's a great connection to, um, to their mental health and to our curriculum because it's there, right? It's just because of the pandemic, I think it's kind of just put a bit of a, a spin on things. And we're just like, uh, what do I do? How do I do this? You know? And, uh, yeah. and I, and I love that, you know, I think we have to give ourselves that, a little bit of uh, freedom to say that, yes, the connection over the curriculum is what is going to really build with, with our youngest learners. And I know sometimes, uh, kind of like Cecilia mentioned, we, we get really into that whole uh, headspace of uh, literacy and math. and But really, it's that's just one frame of what we are to be doing and showing and, and displaying and modeling in our class. So it is quite important to make that connection first. And if that takes however long, then that's how long it takes, right? Like it needs to be an authentic connection with each individual child, because like you said at the beginning, some kids are coming in like, oh my gosh, like real school. And then other kids are coming in and have never seen anybody's face other than their parents or their, their care, you know, their family caregivers or whoever it might be. Um, and so I think that's huge. And it's so important to understand that the connections might not be built as quickly because of some of the factors like the masks, the social distancing, things like that. And so it is very important to take that time with, with those students specifically that are not as open um, and a little bit more anxious about being in this new environment and connect with them in ways that make them feel safe and comfortable where they are. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate what both you, Maya, and you, Cecilia, are saying. And it, it reminds me of, and I'm not sure if anybody listening has ever heard Jean Clinton talk, because she talks about two things. One is over and over again, she says connection is key. Mm -hmm. right? When And you can look at any document that she's ever written that has supported early learning program, the kindergarten program, connection is key. So really tied to that pillar of belonging and contributing. Um, and I think the other thing that I've often heard her talk about, because I, I want to put a bit of a, a, a spin on curriculum, right? Mm. So yes, of course, there's literacy and numeracy and all of that. Um, she talks about taught curriculum, which is what I heard you reference, Maya, but she also talks about caught curriculum. Mm. So when she talks about caught curriculum, it's that things that happen in the exchange of how we engage with our students, where we're helping them think about how to express 
their emotions, where we're helping them think about the whole range of, uh, uh, of emotions that they can experience, how they connect with their peers or you know, explore the environment around them, where they navigate stress, where they, um, you know, learn about how to think and, and, and that interconnection or those relationship pieces. And she often talks about caught curriculum. What's our educators doing to model good, you know, um, emotion management, mm-hmm. right? What is the educator doing when they come up against a, a challenge or a conflict and they feel stuck? Right. right. There is the taught curriculum, but it's the every interaction becomes an opportunity for caught curriculum, how we model. Um, I think, you know, one of the things we were talking before we pressed record, <laughs> you know, or what are some of those things that we think about that I think sometimes we find um, gets lost in the rush of our day. And, you know, sometimes how we welcome kids into the classroom. I mean, Maya, I think you talked about what becomes that sort of caring, safe, inclusive, respectful, accepting classroom environment. And we can't over or underemphasize that is so, so important, right? right? And so how do you welcome your kids? I think I read a, a study where um, educators who welcomed kids into the classroom. So there was a specific, unique welcome. Mm. Um, and maybe you've seen it. It was a little video um, where, you know, do you want a handshake? Do you want a, yes. do you want a fist pump? Do you want to whatever? And, and appreciate, we, we still can do all of those things within a socially distanced way. Sure. We actually did some research to suggest that there was greater engagement by the learner. And this was with, I think, early learning kindergarten classes. Mm-hmm. And there was less um, what we like to call behavior issues in the classroom, mm. simply by a very intentional, focused welcome. And I think embedded in that was educators that said, hey, Cecilia, good morning. How are you? Oh, my, I'm so glad you're here. You just made my classroom sing, right? Like, I think it's that excitement because I... I would gather that there is at least one kid in your class that by the time they get to school, they have not heard someone say their name. Is he? They're like, oh my gosh, like get up, get out of bed, get some breakfast, let's get going. Right. And so we could be that person that calls kids by names. And, you know, I appreciate we have masks on, but you know when someone's smiling, more likely than not by what's happening with their eyebrows and their eyes. And so we could do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Right. And so how do you how do our how do people listening show interest to the kids in their class? Mm. How and I think it's okay to ask them how they're doing. Like, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. If we're trying to help model kids to understand and manage and identify their emotions, that begins with us saying, how are you feeling? What What's going on? And, and giving them an opportunity to talk about it. And maybe if you're comfortable, role play some of those tougher emotions with kids. Um, I know a couple of years ago, we created a mentor text kit. Mm. Um and there's lots of mentor kits. Actually, um, I do a lot of promotion of resources through School Month Talk Ontario, and they've created read-alouds. And so there's mentor kits and texts and read-alouds that we could begin these conversations for kids to learn about kindness, about emotions, relationship, empathy, and all of that. I mean, it's a great uh, enabler for for these things. I think about um, how we show empathy, you know, and model that to kids, and right. and how are we giving kids undivided attention? How are we truly listening? And I think sometimes I'm challenged by this because we're like, yeah, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you, but really I'm not because I'm de- I'm I'm trying to work through an email and trying to develop this and develop that. I'm right. not just 
stopping. Yes. I'm going to even, again, we talked about body language. I'm going to turn my body to you and I'm giving you my focus. And I can only imagine, to be honest, I can only imagine in a kindergarten class, an earlier setting, how difficult that is. If you've got however many kids, yes. lots of activity yes. to just pause. Yes. This is why I love you guys have a team approach to doing this. Absolutely. Um, and I, and I love the fact that kindergarten is embedded in play. Right. Play provides those opportunities to build social skills, to build communication, collaboration. Um, and so there's just so much in the context of that idea of caught curriculum mm -hmm. that educators could do, because we know this to be true. If kids aren't doing well, they're not ready to learn, right? Yes. Not alert creates the condition for them to be ready to, mm -hmm. to learn. Yeah, um, it is something that's been brought up. I know um, even in our meetings is these wellness check-ins and it could even just be as simple like you said of asking how are you feeling today how powerful that uh, interchange would be if you stopped what you were doing and turned and and faced them and and showed them I'm doing this I'm gonna stop that to hear what you have to say to me how powerful and impactful that could be for that one child like even if you don't do that for all of the kids. Maybe that's a goal, but it just takes that one child, that one moment, that that few seconds that you can give to build that little bit with that child. People that are listening, they're probably thinking, okay, but I can't actually do that in my day because it's crazy hectic. There's so many things going on. Mm. And I would counter that because being in the classroom um, a couple of years ago, we had an, an issue or a situation where there was a lot of um, behaviors happening. And it was like, okay, wait, we've got to, you know, figure out where these kids are coming in from and what's what's going on. And it wasn't really just about them. It was also us as educators modeling that. Right. And so we actually had a little bit of a, we called it an emotional check-in. Right. <laughs> so they, using the um, zones of regulation, which is something that a lot of schools are using, we used those four colors. We had taught to it what each of them mean and the different emotions and feelings that come with it. And then each kid had their name on a little clothes peg. And as they came in in the morning, they mm -hmm. could put their name on whichever color that they were feeling. And what that did for us as educators, um, it wasn't because our mornings were so busy. It wasn't a, oh, I've got to make sure that I talk to everybody and say, mm -hmm. how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Because then I find an issue with that is I'm hearing you, but I'm not listening to you. When you respond and say, I'm not doing so good today, Mrs. Malcolm, I might not have time to say, well, what's wrong, hon? Mm -hmm. So I found that little check-in where they get to just um, put their feelings wherever, their little name tag, wherever they are. I would go and make an effort to look through that and say, oh, I noticed that Maya put her name on the blue. So let me just double check, like just do a mm. check in with Maya and see mm -hmm. how she's feeling. And then if I notice, you know, there's a lot of kids that are in the green, that's great. Let's maybe talk as a whole group and say, like, I notice a lot of kids are in the green. What are some feelings that we're having? Why are we there? And and have that conversation. But it doesn't always have to be taking a time to connect with each and every single one of them. Like it kind of goes back to your point, Maya, of giving that child in that moment, that attention. And that was a really nice way that for us to just kind of do a quick check of, okay, who should I be checking on first? That's, um, I guess, needing more of that attention in that moment. And then, and having that conversation and seeing how we can move them into a, a better place or a, a more, um, happy place. <laughs> I really like that. Sorry, Maya, yeah, I really please. like that example, Cecilia, because what it tells me is that, well, what I'm thinking of is you're like, you're practice stacking, 
if that, I don't even know if that's a word. You're stacking <laughs> your practices. So in some way, you're welcoming kids into your classroom through this practice. Right. You're getting to see them for where they enter into in terms of how they're feeling. Right. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to do a check-in. So you're kind of stacking a whole bunch of really, really important ways of building relationship and supporting a student mental health and well-being by that one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think what a good use of time when you feel like you don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you were thinking of that, I, I, I was thinking about this strategy um, and I appreciate people are so busy and I also appreciate they really care about their kids. And so, you know, and I think sometimes it was like Rita Pearson, but she said kids don't learn from people I don't know if it's kids don't learn from people they don't like or oh, I think so. I remember yes. that, right? and if, if they don't think that you care about them, why would they care about what you have to say to them? Right. And so I think about how do we get to know our kids? And, you know, I've, I, I've heard the strategy where, cause the kids that we like are easy to get to know. Mm. Right. And yeah. so I wonder about if you were to take your class list and make a quick note, what do you know about kids? Right. And then for the kids that you don't know a lot about outside of them as a learner, mm -hmm. right? You could probably tell me how well they can figure out a math concept or mm -hmm. in their letters. But what do you know about them as a person outside of being a student? And I would recommend or suggest for those students that you don't have a lot written in, maybe they're the ones that you intentionally try to, because you've done something to get to know those that you do know. Yes. Right. Right. And so how do you connect, right? If you're thinking, I only have five minutes and I've got 25 or 20 kids in front of me, I can only choose five at this moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe that can guide your interactions. But um, yeah, how do, you, how do we, how, right, kids will care about what we have to share if they know that we care about them. And I can't just, I cannot overemphasize connection is key. Yeah. Yes. I feel like a lot of um, educators are at that place too, right? Because the pandemic has, I don't want to say it's put us back. It has um, shifted our thinking, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to really look at it as it is a something that's happened, but we can take that what's happened and turn it into a learning opportunity. And so it hasn't put us back. It's just shifted us into a different direction, right? So where you said earlier, Stephanie, that um, our kids had been in preschool programs or um, other things they were able to engage in where they're not now. So now we almost have to take a step back and say, okay, how can I provide that support for them? And um, what can I put in place that's going to kind of build this connection um, to get them where they need to be, right? Because it's it's always about moving our kids forward um, wherever they are, but it's it's meeting them where they are. That's the beginning part, right? It's like you said, getting to know where is Maya right now and where is Cecilia? Because we, we're not in the same spot, even though Maya and I are the same age coming into kindergarten, we're not at the same developmental spot or the same emotional spot or the same social spot. So it's getting to know where where they are and then, okay, how can I move Maya a little bit further from where she is and then move Cecilia a little bit further from where she is and so on. So I think that's also um, back to your point of getting to know the kids and saying, okay, I know this about Maya. She likes butterflies and I know this about, but I don't know anything about Stephanie. Mm. So I've got to really take some time maybe tomorrow or the next day and and have that one-on-one. -on -one. So I think those are that's a really good um, tip for some educators too when they're thinking, well, I've got 20-something kids, almost 30 in my class. How do I get to know all of these kids mm -hmm. in the time, the day that we have? But you're right, it's taking it slow and and little by little, right? You don't need to 
talk to every single kid in that one day, but even if you say, okay, my goal is to talk to five kids that I haven't talked to yesterday and, mm-hmm. and kind of make set a little bit of a goal for yourself each day is, uh, is a, a good idea. I think too, there's a, there's something to be said around the fact that some of these children have only ever seen life as a standstill. So coming yes. into a class where it's like constantly moving, constantly going, con- like the speed of life is changing for them as well, where that's not an experience where they've had. Maybe they've been at home and done online education with a parent that has has devoted that year to being home with them. So life is a little slower. Um, and I think there is something to be said about that for when they do come into the classroom that's a huge adjustment. That's huge to that see that point. change and yeah. to see and then catch up with that change. Behavior is communication. So it's telling us something. Right. So, you know, why now? Why this behavior? And what might this be that the student is telling me through behavior? Mm-hmm. Because for many, if, if we're saying that many of our kids haven't had the social context in, if we're, if we're kind of thinking about this idea of social malnutrition, they haven't had the experiences to kind of work through things and, and maybe uh, navigate tough challenges and work through emotions and kind of lay some of those social, emotional, behavioral thinking and communication skills have been down. So we might see the lack of that through behavior. Right. So it's not because they're being, you know, intentionally difficult. They just may not have that skill yet. Mm. And so if we see a child differently, I think it was Stuart Shanker, we see a different child. So if we see a child that might not have the skill yet, how we enter into that response is very different if we think this kid knows it and should be doing better. Right. I think kids do well if they can. And so how can we enter? So how do we do that? How do we understand if behaviors communication what is this little one? What is our youngest learners telling us if they are presenting behavior that is they're not listening or mm-hmm. we think they're being a little bit talking back at us, right? Mm-hmm. And so we almost need to kind of dig deeper and say, okay, I see this, like the analogy of an iceberg. I see the behavior, right. but what's under the waterline? If they've never been away from parents, I don't know about you, but when I'm in places I don't feel comfortable in, mm-hmm. I'm not usually my best, best self. And right. so we may have little ones that are are taking some of that stress and worry and um, and showing it in ways through their behavior that I think if we respond to what's underneath it, mm-hmm. or we respond to the behavior, we might actually do a lot of good development for our kids that would eliminate any need for that right. behavior. So, right. And yeah, I think that's key, Stephanie. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I challenge the listeners, right? I challenge the people listening. When you are faced with a child that you would um, kind of deem as a behavior right off the bat, take a second. Ask yourself, what am I doing that I can do differently to help uh this child with the behaviors that they're exhibiting? Why are they exhibiting these behaviors? And what part of my day or our day and our classroom can we change to better suit this child that clearly is having some sort of, um, you know, dilemma fitting where they need to or feeling like they fit where they should be. So uh, I'm going to say thank you so much, Stephanie, for 
joining us with this conversation and uh, I mean, giving us such amazing uh, insight and, and just having this open dialogue is I think hopefully um, in a place where people can hear it and then also take it back and, and listen and, and, and implement some of these things within their classroom. So thank you so much. I so appreciate the opportunity to come talk to you, uh, Cecilia and Maya. And, you know, it, mental health and well-being is not age dependent. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that it is part of, of the dialogue that you have with your colleagues. Um, if this is the wrap up, I don't want to be remiss and miss out saying that it is so, so important that our educators are taking care of their own mental health and well-being. I think right. about the analogy oxygen mask on right. first. Right. And this so applies to our educators. For our youngest learner, it's really important that we make space to take care of our own worries mm -hmm. so that we can be present to theirs. Absolutely. So thank you. Yeah, I think you did touch on that a little bit, Stephanie, and I'm glad you kind of reiterated that point because when you said that, um, you know, if we have to give away our calm, Mm -hmm. uh, we can't do that if we aren't there, mm -hmm. right? And so you're right. We almost have to do those check-ins for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know this pandemic has affected us as adults as well in different ways, personally and professionally and, and all that. So um, just being aware of what you can handle and then taking it slow. So um, I do appreciate that you have also reminded us that we are a huge part of our children's lives mm -hmm. and the impact that we have is sometimes it's not verbal, as you said, it's, it's our physical appearance, it's um, how we carry ourselves. And so if we aren't feeling mentally sound and emotionally ready, then that's something that we need to kind of also focus on and, sure. and also be vulnerable and honest, right? That's the joy of kindergarten. Mm -hmm. um, aside from it being play-based is that <laughs> These kids are so forgiving and a huge part of our curriculum, as Maya said, is um, about getting to know them and making those connections that, you know, the the academics part of it is only one area of our, our four frames, right? And so mm -hmm. just remembering that mental health is very important now more than ever. It's always been important, um, but now it's it's more important and it's more prevalent in um, in our classrooms. And so just using some of the tips that you had given us and the background knowledge, I'm very appreciative of all of that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.